Greetings to the brightest audience in the country. Welcome to Bob and Yurt Live. I'm the pastor of Denver Bible Church. This morning I sent a message to Hyatt, the hotel chain, and I was especially angry at them because they have pushed me to defend CPAC. CPAC, the Conservative Political Action Committee. Over the years, we pointed out, like more recently, the CPAC attendees, what, thousands of them? They have been Trump supporters. Before that, they were screaming, applauding Romney supporters, Mitt Romney supporters, even though Mitt Romney was the embodiment of everything that they claimed that they opposed, right? Mitt Romney is the one who created Obamacare as the governor of Massachusetts, His Obamacare had the individual mandate, which they all said is the thing they hated the most. From the first day it rolled out, it covered elective abortion on demand at any stage. Romney had line item vetoed Romney care eight times, but left abortion support in the bill. He is a socialist. He forced pro-life hospitals, uh, they should have refused, but he forced them to disperse the abortion pill. He forced adoption agencies to adopt out children to homosexual couples, even though doing so was immoral and it was against their principles, and so some left the state of Massachusetts. Romney was also, is also, the father of homosexual marriage, which at the time was still an issue to conservatives. It's no longer an issue. But at the time, it was a big issue, and he single-handedly in the state of Massachusetts ordered county clerks to issue marriage licenses to homosexuals. He did that single-handedly. The legislature didn't do that. The Massachusetts State Supreme Court didn't do that. Mitt Romney did that. And here is the mass of conservatives at CPAC giving a standing ovation, applauding Mitt Romney who is the enemy. I mean, he is the enemy. And now fast forward some years later, and there are more conservatives, Christians, even Republicans who agree that Mitt Romney is the enemy, but not because of all the wickedness that he advocated, the socialism, the child killing, the sexual perversion, but because he doesn't like their guy. How's that? So we asked in a video that we produced, in fact, we ran this in the early primary and caucus states back when Romney was running for president, first time wanted the Republican nomination, and he failed to get it. We produced a 60-second commercial showing what a hypocrite he is to conservatives who at the time seemed to actually care about abortion. And then we turned that into a YouTube video about eight minutes long. We have it on our YouTube channel. It had gotten over 100,000 views, but we had to re-upload it. Now it just has a few thousand views. But in it, we show the CPAC results 
overwhelmingly supporting Mitt Romney, and we ask, what does CPAC stand for? What does CPAC stand for? And we gave the answer, nothing, absolutely nothing. CPAC stands for absolutely nothing if they would cheer on the enemy because they're not motivated based on principles of right and wrong, but based on how much they hate the opposition. And when that's what motivates you, then you are easily manipulated and you are a fool. So CPAC just has their event in Orlando, Florida. Now, we were on TV in Orlando for years on a full-power broadcast TV station and cable back when we were on in 80 cities from Honolulu to Pittsburgh, Orlando, five nights a week for an hour and on satellite, cable, radio. So they just had their CPAC event at the Hyatt, and some leftist tweets that the stage that was set up for the CPAC event, this conservative event, allegedly conservative event, that the stage, if you looked at it from overhead, it looked like a Nazi emblem. So bizarre. Bizarre in the extreme. So the Hyatt puts out a statement that basically plays into that insane accusation. And they did it in a more subtle way. They didn't come right out and say, we think our customer CPAC was promoting a Nazi message. But that's what they basically did without saying as much. I'll read to you from their company statement. And of course, they're concerned because the left, they were furious with Hyatt, the Hyatt Hotels Corporation, for even allowing CPAC to rent their facility. It does remind you of the Bible's warning that one day you will not be able to buy or sell unless you have the mark of the beast. So some Christians who happen to be especially inclined toward extremism and overstating every issue are saying things like the vaccine is the mark of the beast. The vaccine is not the mark of the beast. People are not going to ignorantly or be tricked into taking the mark of the beast. That will be something where individuals are taking a conscious stand against God. That's what that will be. But regardless, these kinds of things do give us a glimpse into the pressures that will go into that part of history, yet future. But here's from the Hyatt statement. We take the concern raised about the prospect of symbols of hate being included in the stage design at CPAC 2021 very seriously. Now, aside from this being an atrocious sentence that they've written, what they're doing is playing into the slander against CPAC. So they say, we take this very seriously as all such symbols are abhorrent and unequivocally counter to our values as a company. So I sent a message to Hyatt and wrote this, as a daily radio talk show host for 30 years on Colorado's most powerful station, the 50,000 watt AM 670 KLTT, today I'm letting our audience know that Hyatt is no longer a welcoming place for their kind. 
as I'll put it. I have always publicly, utterly opposed CPAC. But for Hyatt to make a public comment so easily used to further the slander that CPAC may have intended to promote or identify with the Nazis is outrageous. I especially despise Hyatt, and personally, I despise Hyatt for compelling me to defend CPAC. Whoever in your ranks wrote that statement did so out of a hatred for conservatives, and you then put your whole company's reputation behind it. So I also posted that as a comment on WorldNet Daily's article about this event. So the continuing bifurcation of America as a country, as a culture, it is making it more difficult, of course, for companies to navigate, but we see where their loyalties lie. It's not like they know right from wrong or that they know the right is correct, but they have to somehow tolerate the left. It's not that. It's that they side with the left and they make a pretense for accommodating the right because of their bottom line. But that could end. You know, Hollywood has produced thousands of movies that could have made double, triple, ten times the profit if they didn't include nudity, for example. And so many of the top moneymakers of all time have been family-friendly or relatively family-friendly, but it is not all about the money, as conservatives often say. It's somewhat about the money, but it is often about so much more. And ultimately, it's about the rebellion against God, the hatred of Jesus Christ, and the opposition to those who call him Lord. That's what it's about. So now I would like to continue thinking through the upcoming debate that Denver Bible Church's own Will Duffy will be in a week from tonight on YouTube live. It's Does the Bible Teach That God Exists Outside of Time? And this is between Will Duffy and a Jeremy Howard on a channel called The Gospel Truth, hosted by Marlon Wilson. So yesterday, what we did was look at biblical material on the question of God's relationship to time, and I began presenting the Bible verses that are listed online. There's a huge list, in fact— Will Duffy and I, along with many of the members of Denver Bible Church, including our sons, Zachary, Michael, Dominic Enyart, and many others, put together this list, and it continues to grow. For example, one of our producers, Larry Wolf, just sent along another fabulous verse that goes in the list from the Epistle to the Hebrews. So the list continues to grow, although slowly it's at 575 unique Bible verses in 33 different categories of topics. And the topics, the categories that I mentioned are most relevant to Will Duffy's debate are categories 2, 3, and 22. 
So I'd like to continue sharing those with you. The first category, category two, we covered already, God exists in time. And there are scores of Bible verses in that category for public school teachers tuning in right now. A score is 20. Just like you go to Starbucks and you order a large coffee, and they say, we don't have a large, we have a venti. And you say, no, I don't want venti, I want a large. And they say, no, we have a venti. And you say, no, it's a large. And then you say, in fact, tall means large, and grande means large in Spanish, and venti means 20 in Italian, so you guys are wrong in three languages. How's that? But I just want a large coffee. Or so goes the routine. So in just in category two out of 33, there are scores of Bible verses showing that God exists in time, and they are so emphatic and so literal, and if you're interested, we'll link to those again, or you could just go to opentheism.org and click on the verse list in 33 categories, and there's category number two. We link directly to that category on yesterday's show summary at kgov.com. And so then we started category three, which is God has qualities that can only be had if he exists in time, and we ended with curiosity. Remember these qualities are things like patience. Well, you cannot be patient if you are outside of time, if you don't experience sequence. If your entire existence, as theologians say, although it utterly contradicts hundreds of verses in the Bible, but they say that God experiences his life in an instantaneous point moment, with no succession whatsoever, with no change whatsoever. And so if that were the case, all the many verses that say that God is patient, that God is patient— would not be literally true, or they would be metaphors or figures of speech saying, well, God might not be patient, but to us it looks like he's patient. But the Bible says over and over, in fact, it's emphatic, like in Jeremiah 15, 5, in your enduring patience, O Lord. Isn't that something? And love, in fact, is patient. Love is patient, the Bible says, and God is love. Of course, all these other verses from the Old and New Testament that teach that God is patient, of course they're literally true about God. In Romans 15:5, just as elsewhere it says he is the God of love, here it says he is the God of patience. And of course he is, because he is patient and he teaches us to be patient. And God endures, and we went through these verses yesterday. He endures patiently. He endures his people's complaints. He endures their misery. He endures their cries. He endures the wicked, Romans 9.22. He endures hostility, Hebrews 12.3, and he endured the cross. Wow. And the Bible, a half a dozen times, describes God as slow to anger and long-suffering. So imagine if God is actually not slow to anger, but it just looks like that to us. If you take that perspective, you become like Dr. Samuel Lamerson, 
who I debated some years ago in a 10-round moderated debate at Theology Online. We have it on our website, kgov.com slash opentheism, open hyphen theism. And he argued in the debate, in fact, he used an extra biblical source that sort of weakens his position because we were supposed to be debating from the Bible, not from extra biblical sources. But he quoted a favorite theologian of his, George Card, and he said that all or almost all of the language used by the Bible to refer to God is metaphor. It's symbolic. Could you imagine that? And these are credentialed and leading theologians of the Calvinist persuasion. And when they say that almost everything the Bible says about God is a metaphor, or perhaps all that the Bible says about God is a metaphor, then what is not metaphor? What is actually true about God? And their answer is the things we say about him. The things the Bible says about God are symbolic. They're metaphors. Oh, well, then what do they mean? Well, if all or almost everything the Bible says about God is a metaphor, then you pretty much have carte blanche to say it means whatever you want it to say. And that's what Calvinist theologians do. On our website at KGov, we display a screenshot of that part of this theologian's book. The title of the book is The Language and Imagery of the Bible. So I responded to Dr. Lamerson, who was D. James Kennedy's professor of New Testament at Kennedy's Seminary down in Florida, Knox Theological Seminary. I responded to him that after briefly scanning the Bible, including a list of God is passages, here are a few of the literal descriptions of God that you and your favorite theologian missed. That God is living, eternal, creator, mighty, witness, good, exalted, great, loving, gracious, spirit, righteous, true, powerful, wise, blameless, Lord, known, just, awesome, merciful, judge, holy, and Savior. So all that is a metaphor. It's all symbolic. God is really not those things. In fact, all that, in fact, all that the Bible says about God, or maybe almost all, is something other than the Bible says. Do you realize I use the term carte blanche? That's no longer in vogue, is it? In fact, vogue is no longer in vogue. I'm showing my age. So carte blanche, then there used to be a credit card, carte blanche. It's the complete freedom to act or think as you wish with no constraints. So when you are interpreting the Bible, you're not constrained by the Bible to devise your theology or tell people what God is like. You just make it up as you go, or you listen to others who made it up as they went, because the Bible isn't especially relevant. You go through the Bible to pull out proof texts that happen to support 
your theology, but when you take a biblical theology, when you look at the scriptures systematically, you see that they overwhelmingly oppose your theology. So yeah, everything the Bible says about God being slow to anger and long-suffering, there are theologians who say that that's all a metaphor, and it doesn't mean that God is patient, doesn't mean that. It's just from our perspective. But the Bible goes on. It teaches us that God, for example, can sustain emotion. In Jeremiah 3, verse 12, he says, I will not remain angry forever. That verse alone shows us that God changes. He doesn't change in his righteousness, in his holy character, but he changes in infinite ways. Faithfulness. The Bible says that from everlasting to everlasting, he endures in faithfulness, for he is the faithful God. Deuteronomy 7, 9, he is the faithful God, and he possesses great faithfulness. The Bible says a half a dozen times, great faithfulness. God's faithfulness is not an inability, as most theologians and many pastors teach, that God's faithfulness is an inability because he cannot change, but God's faithfulness is an ability which he must actively maintain, and we provide another half a dozen verses to that effect. So for one, those who teach that God is outside of time, they have to deny the literal meaning of faithfulness to God, and to the extent that they do teach that God is faithful, at least From our perspective, they claim it's because he's immutable, impassable, impeccable. That is all the things he can't do, not because of his positive commitment to righteousness and to love, demonstrated by sacrificing his own son. To them and the theologians we debate, that's not good enough. They say, if he actually has freedom, then we can't trust him. That's what they say, openly. And we win the debate. Because the debate is, what is the biblical presentation of God? And that is not it. Continuing in category three, God's qualities that he has that can only be had if he exists in time is hope, right? That God hopes that his prophecies of judgment will fail. And we list all the verses that show that God hopes his own prophecies of judgment will fail. Like this from Ezekiel, God says, you shall surely die, but repent so that you will not die, right? And that's just one of a dozen where God explicitly is showing that he hopes that his prophecies of judgment will fail. Clearly, God hopes. Biblical hope is knowledge influenced by love and faithfulness. For as Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, hope that is seen is not hope, right? You can't hope that someday, March 2nd, 2021, will arrive and you'll be alive. You can't hope for that because it's here. So hope that is seen is not hope. Hope involves that which is unknown and often because, and most rationally because, it is yet future. And again, Paul describes God not only as the God of love, 
but the God of hope. For example, comparing Israel to a tended vineyard, God expected it to bring forth good grapes, but it didn't, for instead it brought forth wild grapes. And God says, what more could have been done to my vineyard? I expected it to bring forth good grapes. That's God's hope. But instead, he got wild grapes. Another of God's qualities, in a sense, that can only be had if he exists in time, is limitation. God can be limited, as we read in Psalm 78, verse 41, that they limited the Holy One of Israel. I mean, how explicit could the Bible be? When God wants to bless you and you hate him, then you're limiting his ability to bless you. Because love must be freely given, therefore we limit God when his love goes unrequited. So then we'll skip ahead to category 22, things that God became, because Reformed theology says that God can't become anything because that would be a change. However, he was not always the things that in the Bible it says that he became. So we could take the philosophical theologians who say that God cannot become anything because that would be a change, or we could take what God says about himself, such as Isaiah 63, 8, I became your Savior. So direct, so simple. So God became our Redeemer, our Savior. He wasn't a Savior when there was no one to save. The Bible also says that he became man, right? God the Son, in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, God the Son became flesh. That is, he became a man. And that's after saying in the Old Testament, like in 1 Samuel 15, I am not a man or the Son of Man. I'm not either of those things. God was not a man from eternity past. He said, I am not a man. And he said, I am not a Son of Man. But then God the Son, through the incarnation, became a man. He became the Son of Man, and that became his favorite title for himself. You would think his favorite title would be God the Son, because that is his title for eternity past. However, this was new to him. This was new to be the Son of Man. So he really liked that title. I mean, at least in the scriptures, that was the Lord's go-to title for himself. We read in Hebrews 5, in the days of his flesh, though he was a son, capital S, God the Son, having been perfected, isn't that something? The Bible says he was made perfect by suffering, and God the Son had previously been perfect, but he had never been perfect by suffering. That was new. Being perfected by suffering was new. So in Hebrews, he became a perfect man. For this man, it says in Hebrews 10, 12, this man sat down at the right hand of God, speaking of after his ascension. Romans 5, 15, the man, Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy 2, 5, the man, Christ Jesus. And then, of course, Son of Man, no creed, confession, systematic theology textbook 
claims that being the Son of Man is a divine attribute from everlasting of God the Son. But if you're in a debate with Reformed theologians, or even many Arminians, they're pushed into a corner and they'll say, yes, he was always the Son of Man, which is inane, because humanity is not co-eternal with God. Neither is God the Son, also the Son of Mary from everlasting. He's not. So we're looking forward to Will Duffy's debate a week from tonight at 6 o'clock Mountain Time on YouTube. Does the Bible teach that God exists outside of time? Please join us in watching that. This is Bob Enyart. May God bless you. Have you heard of the Plot Manuscript? It's 330 pages, an overview of the entire Bible. People who have read it have said it's helped them understand and enjoy the Word of God. Hi, this is Bob Enyar. I wrote the plot years ago. We sell it at a money-back guarantee, $49.95 plus shipping and handling. And if you don't feel that you really understand the Bible now, we want to give you your money back. So go online to order it at kgov, kgov.com, or call us at 800-8-ENYART. That's 1-800-836-9278.